We're continuing our series in Empowered by Faith. If you've got your uh, group notes book with you, uh, you can turn to that. If not, don't worry, I won't be marking them at the end of the series or anything like that. We won't be asking them to come back in and uh, put gold stars or otherwise on your answers. Um, <clears throat> we're in session six, would you believe, already, um, which... For me, that it's just gone so fast. I don't know about you, um, but January has gone by a blink, and um, I can't believe that uh, you know we're we're in February. Um, we started off on the uh, beginning of the year with a foundation of faith. We looked at the Greek word pistis and and how it was to be persuaded by, and that it was a work of God and what He was doing in us. Um, we then met together here and explored some scripture about the nature of God and us in our relationship with God uh, as groups together. And that was fun, I hope, for everybody. On uh, the 12th, uh, we had obedient faith, and Gareth looked at obedient faith, this quiet trust. You remember the, the dog? Do you remember the dog at the end of his preach that was just kind of couldn't get enough traction on the ground? Because it wanted to run in obedience to the call of its master. And that whole sense of that joy-filled obedience. Because actually we know he's so very good. Supernatural faith, we had Paul Manwaring speaking to us. And he, he kind of put this story together of his own experience of the goodness of God. And allowing the kingdom of God, the supernatural, to speak into a journey that actually from all in external observation, didn't necessarily look supernatural. There he is, a leader at Bethel Church, and the expectation is he's going to get healed supernaturally of prostate cancer. But actually what he did was he talked about the journey. He talked about how the revelation, the medical healing or healing coming through uh, medicine, through a doctor's hand, through the scalpel, isn't a second-class healing which has so, uh, really released a lot of people in, who work in, uh, in medicine. And he showed us that actually the journey along the way of multiple points of, as he says in his book, kisses from a good God, from a good father, all the way along actually had this underlying current of, his, of God's steadfastness and his goodness as he walked through the difficulties. See, God doesn't send the trials, but he asks that we open the door and say, would you come walk with me through this? And he had multiple points where he's saying, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. Even to the point of a, a dream where he actually saved himself. And then in that moment where his body was crashing, being able to remember, ah, the dream. What do I need to do? Oh yeah, my catheter is blocked. The vent is blocked. I need to resolve that. Get the bag changed. Bang. And healed. And so his instruction to us at the end of that was, okay, guys, look, don't hold back as you seek God and his presence and he speaks to you. Be looking for where you can share the goodness and grace of God. Be looking. Did I have a dream? Did I have a word? Did I have scripture for somebody? Holy Spirit, would you guide me, lead me to that person that they too might hear your voice, might receive those good kisses of a good father? in their journey. So important that we do that and we don't lock that off. Living faith, um, Peter talked to us about enduring faith. What land are we living in? 
living in the land of doubt or fear or are we living in faith and he gave us a, a sequence a set of tools to look at how do we engage with God what does that look like as we seek the more of his gifts of his spiritual gifts gifts like prophecy how do we weigh prophetic words and he referenced his own story of Angela having the dream of the primrose colored door and then waiting to to see whether or not that would come to fruition and whether or not that would happen and then finding yes look that's the house that's where we're called to and how God speaks out of scripture and so when the original scripture was written that was written for that purpose but Holy Spirit can come in in our scriptural reading and he can ignite something he can highlight something and so for Peter it was go east so he knew that was the Spirit of God. There was a, a weight of the glory of God upon that word. Yeah, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm only going to look for jobs in that area. I'm only going to go that way. So he looked, gave us a toolkit to look at. Mike spoke on courageous faith the other week. And if you're able to be at the Leadership Summit, he spoke more there as well about the call and what he's doing down in London and the toolkit. And there's this one phrase that, <clears throat> that kind of sat with me out of everything that you can hear from him, which was so good, which was, following Jesus is simple, but it's not necessarily easy. So let's not overcomplicate things, but actually follow the simple instructions of the Lord and in obedience overcome the challenge that it's not always easy. And today we're going to look at uh, session six at growing faith. So if you have your, your little notebook with you, feel free to turn to that and uh, we'll explore this a little together. Uh, I pressed it again. Uh, yeah, there we go. Let me go back. Okay. Paul writes to the church in Galatia and he says this. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Basically, he's saying, I'm no longer my own concern. I was... Uh, I was thinking about stuff. It's difficult, isn't it? It's hard. I find it awkward to say, I was praying some months ago. It sounds a bit super spiritual and a bit like, oh yes, I was praying when I was with the Lord on the Lord's Day. You know, <laughs> we all pray, all right? So there's no kind of like, oh, he was praying, brilliant. I was praying a few months ago and, and um, this phrase just kept coming back around my head again and again and again. And he just said to me, you know, you don't need to be your own concern. And so I wrote down, I'm no longer my own concern. Because of the secure place that I find myself, that all the other attributes of life that might concern me, I give to him. And actually... Shifting my mindset, shifting my thinking that I'm no longer needing to be concerned about me is a journey. And my wife will tell you, you know, it's been a journey over the last 10 months since I 
resigned from my employment of a career of 20 years and decided that, no, the Lord is calling me to step into some full-time or part-time as it is at the moment, ministry in the church. And at the point that I resigned, they did a restructure in the company that I worked for. And it meant that the individual that I was now having to communicate and relate to was somebody I'd never worked before with before in that organisation. And there were some other challenges around that. And so I ended up on really what was a roller coaster. Now I had promises, I had a Julian Adams prophecy. It's great to get prophetic words, isn't it, from somebody who is known and proven in their prophetic ministry. You go, good, that's good, all right, I've got that. And I've had it reiterated by others, something that Peter spoke about the other week, about the gathering going, yeah, actually we all sense together in Holy Spirit that this is right. And so I felt these kind of like, I had these prophetic words, I had these biblical instructions, I had this courage to go into it. I went to Bethel Church in California and uh, with my family on a holiday and uh, I got given a prophetic picture, literally a drawing, and some of you have, have heard me talk about that, of a man standing on a cliff edge. And that was literally the same conversation that I had with my employer before I'd uh, resigned my job. He said, why, why till next April? I said, well, I've got to give you six months' notice, but actually financially I'm on a cliff edge and I need to sort my stuff out. I need to try and work a plan. So the Lord was in the room and he was listening. But it's sometimes that, that clarity that God gave was needed because actually the journey was then challenged and there was difficulty along the way. And I didn't know week to week, month to month, whether or not they'd ask me back the next week. Because as a contractor, there's no obligation. So if any of the management team didn't write on the list, oh, Al, next Tuesday come in, da-da-da, that was it. I was not expected to be in. And so as Jane would say, you know, I was doing this, she was like this. And I was like, well, hey, I'm good. No, I'm not. I'm good. No, I'm not. I'm good. No, I'm not. And it's challenging. It's really challenging. But the Lord spoke to me in this and he said, look, you don't need to be concerned. I've got you. I've got you. And it's hard, isn't it? It's hard not to try and work a plan, find our own solution, engineer a situation or a solution that actually meets uh, our need or our perceived need of security. But what Paul writes here in Galatians 2.20 is profound. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. But it's this next bit that gives us the certainty and assurance. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul writes elsewhere, doesn't he, that... If, if, you know, he, he lists all his trials and tribulations and difficulties, and then he says, but basically, because God has given me his son, will he not also give me all good things? Will I not inherit eternal life? So 
So he sets this sure foundation based upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now it challenges us, challenges me. When I think about the detail of my life in terms of faith and an operation of faith, and I don't know if you read the uh, Jim Elliott book uh, years ago. He went into a uh, South American rainforest to preach the good news to a tribe. And uh, he ended up dying. And his, uh, his wife uh, amazingly carried on the journey and, uh, and saw many come to salvation. And he said this, A man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can't lose. It's a brilliant paraphrase of Galatians 2.20. It's this sense of, if I try and cling on to the stuff of life, actually, that's going to fail quite badly. And actually, what I want to do is I want to let go of what I can't keep. If I build my life on this earth as the target, the thing, then the reality is I'm going to lose it all anyway. And Jesus tells the story of the farmer who you know, has a huge crop and builds a massive barn and fills it, but ends up dying that night. Jesus said this, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And it's interesting, that's probably quite small, isn't it? You may not be able to read that. It's all right, is it? It's interesting to explore what gaining the whole world looks like, what the underlying narrative is for us, coming from media, coming from social media, coming from you know, Facebook, or etc., etc. What does that look like and what does that feel like? Well, glory is one of them. This being exalted in the public's eyes or being exalted in the eyes of others. We know celebrity and status is important for some. That being in the right crowd, be it at school or in the workplace, being in is more important than maybe standing for the things of Jesus. That actually there's a, an exclusivity that gets created there's winners and there's losers, A-listers and B-listers. And we kind of judge people on the basis of their kind of social capital. It's interesting when we look at the temptation of Jesus by Satan and what he offers him. And he takes him and he shows him all the nations of the world. He says, if you'll bow down to me, all this will be yours. So it's a kind of a insidious sort of message, isn't it? That all this, you can have all this. Win the lottery, you can have all this. Is my business going to do brilliantly? What can I have as an outcome of it? Or as somebody says, the purpose of wealth is to change history. Do we think of it that way? How can I earn to change both my life but also the lives of those around me? 
and effect change and see his kingdom come. Another attribute is the receiving and retaining of power, often in the form of money, that brings us choices and a level of independence and access to exclusive places. I was saying to some folk the other day, I found it amusing to go past, there's the, the road that goes up to the, um, up to the rugby ground, and there's some building work going on there, and there's a great big hoarding, and it says, exclusive apartments. I thought, that's interesting. I said, actually, my house is quite exclusive, because not many other people live there. What are you, what's the message? I wasn't quite sure what the message was. But I think the exclusive meant not many people can afford these. So once you've bought one, you're in a small group. Ain't that great? I've travelled a little bit with work. I've been to the Bellagio in Vegas and we've done a conference there and been into the Picasso restaurant there. I may have spoken about this before. You've got Picassos hanging on the wall, etc., and the prices, well, actually the menu didn't have prices. That tells you, doesn't it? And so we chose our food, sat in a very large round table. The whole environment was very hushed. And uh, we kind of ate our food. It was a large table because there was about 15 or so of us. And to be honest, it was all right. But it was all about exclusivity, the exclusion of others who could not afford to come in. And so we felt special because we could be in a place that others couldn't afford to get into. And of course, everything had a premium on that basis. And then the next night, we actually went to a fish bar, sat along a long wooden bench with no backs, and had an absolutely fantastic time at about a tenth of the price. Exclusivity and power and money draws many. But it's also a lure to some oh yeah I, I want to be able to go there I want to be able to drive that car I want to be able to present that image I want people to think that about me another interesting feature of what the world offers is this sense of life to the full and not in any way being inhibited being involved being included a sense of self-gratification do what you need to do to please you you set your rules. You set your framework for life. You do what you want to do because thereby you will be free. Don't be constrained. Don't be boxed in by perceived values and moralities and ethics that actually are meaningless. And at best, they might be a sociological tool that perhaps has evolved. But in real terms, strongest survive, the fittest survive. So do your thing. And enjoy yourself. When we look at what the kingdom of God looks like and what it is to walk in faith with God, we find that Jesus talks about us being exalted as we go lower than others. Now, the disciples had experienced amazing things. They'd been praying for the sick and sealing them healed, seeing them healed. They'd been casting out the demonic influence in people's lives. And so an argument arose. These are, you know, fishermen. These are, as, uh, as Acts tells us, unlearned men. 
And so they have an argument about who's the greatest. And so Jesus said this. He says, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you is the one who is great. He just turns it upside down. I can imagine there may have been a few flushed faces and a slight sense of embarrassment. But Jesus modelled it himself, didn't he? In the washing of his disciples' feet. He modelled this thing of, actually, I'm not going to try and attain something and be the greatest and be the best for my own glory. He said, if you go to a meal and you find that somebody else is sat in a higher place, just sit in a lower place. And it may be that the guest, will, the, um, the host, will move you up to a higher place latterly. But the other way might happen yet. Be exalted by going lower than others. How can I serve people around me? How can I see them lifted up? It's this understanding Jesus placed himself lower than every man, woman and child in the whole of creation in order that they might receive eternal life. He encouraged us to think about receiving for ourselves by giving away. He says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He wants us to be generous, to give away, to have a different perspective of the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven. He says it's better, it's more blessed to give than receive. What's our faith step in giving and receiving? Do we gather for a sense of security and well-being that finances in the bank give us? Or are we no longer our own concern? And that actually, if the Lord asks, it's his and he may ask and he may not ask, but it's my heart. Lord, what do you want to do? It's yours. If you want it, it's yours. He calls us to live by dying to ourselves. In Matthew 10, 38 to 39, he says this. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me isn't worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. These are powerful words into a community that's being ruled by Rome, where the cross is the most abhorrent expression of the punishment and where the, the, the convicted has to carry their cross to a point of execution. And he's, he's alluding to what he's going to do for the sake of others. But he also says later on that 
actually my burden is light and my yoke is easy. So give me your stuff and I'll carry it for you. But he's basically saying, I want you to be in a position where you will publicly express this same servant heart nature that I'm going to literally express by going to the cross, by dragging that piece of wood up the hill to my own execution. I want you to do the same in my name. I want in your living to die to yourself and to live for me. I don't want you to be your own concern. I want you to enjoin yourself with me to such an extent that actually you're able to do this. You're able to walk the walk as well as talk the talk. See, the interesting thing that in all of these upside-down kingdom values, God confronts restriction by limitation. You see, in real terms, we are limited when we gather finances for our own security. That is not as strong as operating in the kingdom of God for his glory and having an open heart towards him that whatever you have is his. Who knows what journey he's going to take you on? Who knows what doors he's going to open for provision? Who knows how much more you're going to get to know him as you rely upon him rather than relying upon a load of money in the bank? Who knows what the journey is going to look like as you rely upon God for your social standing and your security and your sense of value and purpose rather than what your colleagues think of you and what Facebook says in terms of the number of likes. What is God going to do in your inner being as you trust him and cast yourself wholly upon his care versus standing on things that the world offers for security. There is a completely different sense of security that Jesus walks in and has that is different from the things that we can put security into. Really different. And so whenever God challenges us, whenever Jesus speaks and he challenges us to flip the world upside down, what he's saying to us is, the way it is at the moment is weak and fragile and has no strength in it whatsoever. But the way of my father in his kingdom has strength, has purpose, has value, And there is riches beyond belief as you get to know him and understand him and walk in security in relationship with him. It's all about a journey of engagement and growing in relationship with the Father. The Bible is meant to be understood in relationship, not on its own, which is why so many go wrong. It's an invitation into the impossible. It's an invitation to take hold of God, literally at his word, and say, you've said, so therefore I will. 
It's about being on the front foot. It's about being hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. James writes and he says, you know, you, you talk about faith. You show me your faith, but I'll show you my works that are derived from my faith. I'll show you the walking the walk and talking the talk because that's where faith is at. Faith doesn't look into a mirror blankly and turn away and forget immediately what it looks like. But it's a dynamic, active engagement with the living God. So it's challenging. He challenges us to step outside of comfort zones. Will you walk with me? Will you step with me? Will you follow me? And sometimes he doesn't actually ask for anything. Sometimes he says, yeah, go save. Brilliant. Go save. That's fine. But it's where is our security at? What's our security in? Is it in the economy? Were we thrown by Brexit and caught up in a turmoil? Is it in what people think of us? See, God wants to peel away false understanding of the nature and the character of reality and the nature and the character of his kingdom. And so these instructions are meant for us to be opportunities and invitations. What does it look like for me to die this week that I might live for Christ? What does that look like? What does that look like for my pride? What does that look like for my sense of control and my need to have all my ducks in a row? What does that look like for how I engage in the workplace and how I promote myself or promote others? What does that look like? What do I want to accumulate and receive? But actually the Lord says, actually if you want to receive things of real value, give them away. He talks about the servants with the talents, doesn't he? He says, to one I gave ten, to another five, to another one. And I expect you to do something with it. What does that look like with your gifts and your skills and your ability? As well as your finances. What does that look like? How do I give away and sow into the lives of others and into their kingdom that they might grow in the nature of God. And as I give away, I know that actually I'll receive. Because that's the way his kingdom works. If we seek to be exalted or glorified in our own eyes, or there's a sense of security by being top dog in the workplace, or hopefully not, but maybe even in the home, how can I actually serve others and love others as Jesus loved them? How can I do that this week? And each of these attributes require faith because it goes back to that core premise that I no longer live but Christ lives in me. He empowers me to walk in his ways. So we ask Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you engage with us? Would you enable us to live lives that are honouring of the name of Jesus? Would you empower me 
to give away what you ask me to give away? Would you empower me to die to self that you might be glorified? What does that look like? Would you empower me to exalt others and serve others that you might be glorified? These are challenging dynamics of the kingdom of God and they all require faith.